back. Pulls up for three. Boom! Knocks it down. Curry from the corner at three. Puts it in. For overtime. Makes it. Garrett. Welcome from me, Mark Woods, to the latest edition of the MVP Cast, brought to you in association with Total Environmental Compliance. Check out their great consultancy services for a whole range of environmental issues at tecompliance.co.uk. Now, of course, the big story in basketball coming up is the restart of the NBA season, four months after it was completely shut down due to the coronavirus epidemic. And what a change it's going to be. All the games being played in Orlando at a single venue behind closed doors under very, very strict conditions. It will be very much a whole new ball game for all concerned, as LeBron James pointed out last week. It's a nice 2020. Everyone keeps asking me how is the bubble or how is it going? I just say it's 2020. Nothing is normal in 2020. Nothing seems as is and who knows if it will ever go back to the way it was who knows but you you make the adjustments and you figure it out along the way that's what life is all about you know life throws you curveballs sometimes and it's and it's how you uh and it's how you how you not only approach it but how you appreciate it as well so um nothing is normal um but what is the same is that 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 floor we just came off of my teammates um and, and what we have uh, what we're here to uh, to do and that's to, to lock in and stay focused and and go about this ride, um, um, you know, accordingly. So, um, but but it's 2020, so it's different. It's different from the vision of 2020. It's not that clear. Yes, 2020, a very odd year indeed. Joining us to talk about the extreme weirdness that is the NBA's restart within the bubble is the national correspondent for ESPN.com, my good friend Tim Bontat. Tim, welcome to the MVP Cast. Hey, Mark. Great to talk to you, man. Thanks for having me. You're you're born for Orlando. Um, the, the site of many a fine British vacation over the years. Um, <laughs> but, we, but and this is a very unique and very different non-vacation for all concerned. I mean, we've read the reports from from those who went inside the bubble earlier on, players, media, like you know, people having to stay inside their hotels for an entire week without going outside the door to fill, fulfill the quarantine rules, the daily testing. It's incredibly strict lockdown in terms of remaining on campus. I mean, generally from from those people you've spoken to on the inside and yeah, your sense from around the league, what's the atmosphere around this whole deal been like? Well, Mark, I mean, I think at the beginning there was a lot of uh, hesitation about the quarantines and some of the restrictive measures uh, that were put in place to try to keep people locked into the campus and try to keep the virus out. Right. Uh, but over the past few weeks, what we've seen is the NBA's plan has worked. And we're, you know, we're coming up on three full weeks uh, with the bubble being formed. So far, there hasn't been a single positive test in the bubble. There's only been two positive tests. Anybody who's gotten Orlando, uh, one player, Michael Beasley, left and went home. Uh, the other one, um, you know, just quarantined and then went back into into working out with their team. So, um if you look at it from that standpoint, this has worked and all the restrictive measures that were put in place, they were all done so that once the bubble is formed and once everybody's been in there for a few weeks, uh, the virus would stay out and you could kind of get back to normal basketball. Right. And 
I, we were just talking before we came on. It's obviously not like watching the NBA finals with no fans and kind of a neutral court and all this stuff, right? It's a little strange to watch, but it's regular basketball and guys are high-fiving and playing and they're not wearing masks. And, you know, the people in the bubble, now that they're into it and kind of settled in, they all pretty much universally say the NBA did a hell of a job and this thing is set up about as well as it could be. So, um, you know, look, certainly this was a very, very big undertaking that the NBA took on. And I would not say they've handled everything perfectly from the start. But the goal in forming this bubble was to keep the virus out at the beginning and get this thing started. And if you're able to do that, you should be able to get to the end. And given the way these first three weeks have gone, I feel pretty confident they're going to be able to get to the end, which would be just a massive success for them. I mean, there's only been a handful of players who opted out of this. I mean, there has been obviously guys expressing reluctance reservations despite right. both the health measures put in place and i suppose the relative luxury that's been put in place you know within this you know the disney resort do you though still expect that at some point i mean this is a long spell if you go right to the finals that's a long time away from potentially away from family and you know friends etc do you think as tough as some of these guys are that some of them will find this a real mental challenge or perhaps a too tough a mental challenge I definitely think it's going to be a tough mental challenge. I'm not sure anybody will find it too tough only because um, those guys that you're talking about that are there to the very end will be there to the very end trying to win a title, right? They won't just be stuck there for four months. Like if it was the, I don't know, the Chicago Bulls who are in this bubble for four months, not going to the playoffs, not playing for anything, just kind of playing out the string, I could see there being a lot more consternation there but if say you're the lakers and you're in the finals and you've been there since early july or the raptors or the bucks or the celtics or the clippers you can see that light at the end of the tunnel and see that goal that you're chasing and you can kind of put that out in front of you um so i think that's the good thing about the way the nba has set this up the bad teams are only going to be there for six or eight weeks uh and the good teams are going to be motivated to stay there longer so I think from that standpoint, while I do think it's going to be difficult and it's going to be a real mental challenge to push through to the end of this thing, I do think that that, that carrot hanging out in front to like, hey, we're here to win a title, um, I, I do think that is going to be a real benefit to uh, keeping guys engaged and locked in in a situation that could otherwise be really tough for them, to your point. I mean, totally two teams on the start line when this will starts again on, on Thursday. Very short close, as you said, to the regular season and the playoffs begin. I mean, we've seen the English Premier League, the Bundesliga, successfully restart amongst amongst the soccer leagues. And it, this, though, is a very different scale because of indoor sport. There's a very different kind of challenge involved. I mean, for the NBA, how much is riding, you know, forget about necessarily the on the floor, but how much is riding off the court and being being able to complete this without any major hiccups? Oh, th this thing is just critically important to the health of the league, Mark. I mean, it really can't – you really can't overstate um, the importance of this to the NBA. Uh, you look at where the league sits right now. Um, they make a ton of money on the playoffs every year. Uh, they would have they would have potentially lost, you know, maybe a billion dollars, maybe multiple billions of dollars if they were unable to play the rest of the season. You're looking ahead to next season, which you very well laid out the challenges of trying to play indoor sports, right? Like the Premier League, the Bundesliga, La Liga, 
these leagues can all go on and continue to play games um, because they're all outside and the players are outside. And, and you know, the, the bar for entry, the barrier for entry for having outdoor sports return is much lower uh, to try to play indoor sports, particularly try to play indoor st- sports with fans uh, this winter during flu season uh, before a vaccine is in place, especially given where the virus is in the country at the moment in America, I mean, um, seems impossible, right? So or certainly impossible to play without fans uh, or play with fans. And if you have to play without fans, that means you're losing, you know, Adam Silver said back in May that, uh, you know, the revenue that's brought in from having fans at games from all the various ways that the NBA makes money off of that, it's up to 40% of the league's revenue every year. So if you, if even if they're able to play next season and they chop out 40% of the money they're supposed to make, that's going to have a massive impact on the league's economy, right? So um, there's no question that this, I wouldn't say this is like do or die for the, the like overall sake of the league. Like if it fails, are they going to close? No, but from a, um, from a long-term viability standpoint, given the amount of money that is at stake, uh, you know, the stakes really couldn't be higher for the NBA to pull this off. And that's why I think you look the way this has played out these first three weeks. They have to be absolutely thrilled uh, at the situation they've put together so far. And they're certainly hoping it can continue. I mean, we've been focused very much on this. I mean, we, you know, we're talking here in Europe where the situation generally is a little bit better. But most people saying we can't put people inside arenas until October, November, if if things continue to improve. What's your sort of sense on, on next year? Because you know, surely you can't take the teams to back to Orlando for seven, eight months and, and play, right. the, play the next season. I mean, do you get any sort of feeling about where, where the league sees this going at this point? Well, Brian Winters and I have been working on this a lot. We wrote a story a couple of weeks ago for ESPN about this topic. And uh, it's something I've been laser focused on for, um, for weeks, because to your point, like, if you look like the virus is obviously in a much worse place here than it is really anywhere in Europe at this point. And, you know, if you just look at where things are in the country, the idea that, that we're going to be able to have fans at games and, you know, right now the season is allegedly going to start December 1st. The idea that fans are going to be at games on December 1st to me is just laughable. I mean, there's just no way that's going to happen. And, it, and it's hard to know if we're going to be able to have um, the games played at all. I mean, if you go back to, uh, late June when the NBA started testing, uh, players for the virus, when they went back to their home markets before going to Orlando, they had like kind of a two week pre quarantine ahead of going to Orlando where they kind of had guys staying at home and not like locked down, but going back and forth to the gym to work out, uh, to the team practice facilities. I mean, um, I think the NBA had about 10% of its players between five and 10% of its players test positive in those few weeks before Orlando. So if you have 10% of the NBA or more testing positive for the virus in December, I mean, it's going to be very difficult to try to play games in that situation on top of dealing with the flu on top of dealing with everything else. So, I mean, I am certainly not under the belief that the NBA is going to just come back in December and just start next season and it's going to be fine. Um, maybe they could play games without fans. I wouldn't be surprised if they, the season gets pushed back and there's a hope to try to wait for a vaccine. If there's a vaccine that's able to come sometime in the early part of 2021, like it seems like 
generally experts across the board think is realistic or at least possible. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, that's why it's like I said before, it's why this bubble working is so important because, uh, if the NBA could get this season done and crown a champion and make a bunch of money off of this thing, it gives them a little more flexibility to go into next season thinking, okay, we got this done. Um, look, maybe what happens is next season becomes some kind of really truncated thing that is kind of a bubble type setup, right? And they do, they kind of take this model and they build it out a little longer and they, they do some kind of funky thing to have a season. Maybe that's what they do. I don't know. Um, but if they can finish this thing, at least that gives them the confidence to say, okay, we know how to do this. Now let's try to figure out next season. And we at least have some option in our back pocket that in a worst case scenario, we could go back to Orlando uh, and try to do this again. In a sense, you know, sports are kind of learning. We've seen this, you know, with the, with the Premier League, League in England. Yeah, it's, there's no one there watching it, but the way that they've put it across in television, the way they've still tried to interact with fans, you know, there's, I suppose they're, well, you, you want pack arenas. You also find different ways that you can connect and actually the product might evolve. You might find new ways to evolve the product. Listen, as you know, right, uh, there's there's a lot of Premier League fans here in the States uh, who probably either never have, maybe never will go to a game, right? And it's the same thing with the NBA, with fans in China, with fans in Europe, with fans in Africa, uh, with fans just across Asia, across the world. Um, so there's little doubt that the NBA can and has certainly already tried to use this opportunity to enhance its broadcast, to find new ways to bring the game to people, to uh, find ways to improve the television product. I mean, there was certainly a lot of talk over the past year or so about how ratings were dipping uh, here in the States for the NBA, right? So this is a chance for them to kind of experiment with some stuff. Um, and look, like, for as much money as the league does make from these games, from fans going, I mean, these games are expensive, and, you know, just like Premier League games are expensive or any any of these things, and it's hard for people to go to the game. So I think that – I certainly think that finding ways to uh, make the product more appealing on television is um, – it's not only an important long-term growth thing for the NBA and the Premier League and other sports. I also think that, um, you know, it's one – like you said, it's one potential positive to come out of what otherwise is a pretty depressing situation. We've been watching – these preseason scrimmages, exhibitions over the last few days. I mean, no crowd, no atmosphere. If you haven't mm -hmm. seen them on television, you know, it's essentially like a big hole and a limited amount of people in it. And also these guys returning after a three-month layoff and Janice Antetokounmpo admitting that he's still making some adjustments physically during scrimmage time. Yeah, I'm just trying to get back in uh, regular season mode. Um, but personally, I just want to get back in shape, basketball shape. I, was, I feel like I was tired and... Uh, Obviously, we got, I think, two more scrimmages, and then we got eight games uh, before playoffs. So I just want to get in basketball shape. I want to be able to run down the court for 35 minutes, 40 minutes, and not get tired. I felt like, you know, uh, obviously, when you um, when I came on the uh, when the game started and I ran for like two, three minutes, that first win, I was I was exhausted. But um, I just got to go back to the gym. I believe in my technique. I worked, I worked extremely hard uh, these four months. I really play, and um, I just want to get back in shape, and uh, I think I'll be fine. So there we hear Giannis, not yet at hundred percent. You've seen a few of these games. What have you made of the quality of play so far? I think it's actually been really good, Mark. Um, at least certainly compared to what I expected it would be. 
right? Like I, I wouldn't say it's game seven of the NBA finals yet. <laughs> um, but it's, but it there, things are a lot farther along generally than I would have guessed. Like guys are in really good shape or at least really good shape relative to what uh, you would think after a four and a half month layoff. Uh, the, the level of play has been pretty high. Ball movement's been pretty crisp for most of the teams. Um, a couple of the teams stink, like the Brooklyn Nets stink. Um, you know, the Spurs stink. A couple other teams are just really bad. Um, so they're not great to watch. But um, but generally, I, I do think the, the quality of play is pretty high. And look, I, I mean, I think the thing that people forget, like this isn't the 60s or 70s where you had guys going and working jobs in the <laughs> off season to kind of pay for them to play in the, in the actual season, right. To kind of supplement their income. Like these guys work out two, three, four times a day year round. So yeah, they haven't been able to get in the gym as much as they're used to, but they have had the ability to, you know, stay somewhat in shape. And the other thing to remember too, is they did just have two straight weeks of practice, which basically never happens. Like even in the preseason, there's mm. essentially like four or five days of practice. And then they start playing scrimmages and they are preseason games going into the regular season. Um, they just basically had practice as many days as they wanted over the past two weeks before these scrimmages started. Um, so I, I think the fact that they really had a chance to get in the gym and really just work out consistently for a couple weeks in a row together as a team, uh, I think has helped a lot too. So, yeah, I mean, I think, the other, obviously, the virus not being in the bubble has been the best part of this thing so far. But I, I think the fact that the quality of play, especially in games that don't mean anything at all, um, has been pretty high is a, is a big positive for the league, too. I mean, Milwaukee looked like the best team in the NBA before the coronavirus struck. I mean, they're a team with no drama, great chemistry, and a very yep. clear clear playbook from, from, from Coach Bud. Does this, does everything now that's going on, does that make this situation favor them even more perhaps when we're looking at titles. I'm really curious to see what happens with the bucks. Um, you know, Giannis to me has clearly become the best player in the world over an 82 game season. Uh, and you can make a good argument that his coach in Milwaukee, Mike Budenholzer is the best NBA coach over an 82 game season. Um, but the, you know, it's kind of like the, the funny thing about the NBA is that, the regular season is kind of like the the you know the championship season in the Premier League and the Bundesliga and La Liga in in the, the top football leagues, right? Where th over those eighty two games, you know the, the Bucks are basically what Liverpool were this year, right? They have a brilliant system and they run it to perfection. They have the best player in the world, and everything is optimized for them to be the best team over eighty two games. But to win a title in the NBA. You have to be the best team in the playoffs, which requires different skill sets, um, skill sets that Giannis still isn't quite at his peak at yet in terms of shooting, in terms of being able to kind of create individual offense by himself. Um, so that is something I'm going to I'm curious to see. Can Giannis like there's still a lot of people who say LeBron is the best player in the world or Kawhi Leonard is the best player in the world. And like I think Kawhi probably is the best player in the playoffs. I think he showed that last year, right? The way he led the Raptors past the Bucs, won the championship uh, against the Warriors. But for Giannis to take that final step and kind of be universally recognized as the best player and not just the best player from game one to game 82, he has to really 
take over in these playoffs and lead the Bucs to the finals and beyond. And frankly, I think these playoffs are even bigger for Mike Budenholzer. This is a guy who, over the past eight or nine years, he's proven to be, like I said, a fantastic regular season coach with a fantastic system and has won a ton of regular season games. And he gets in the playoffs and he makes no adjustments and no changes. And his team runs into a, a, another really good team and falls apart. It's happened. It happened in Atlanta. It's happened in Milwaukee. And, uh, you know, for him to really break through, he's got to show that at the highest level, he's able to make those adjustments tactically and go back and forth with the best coaches in that, in that playoff series last year in that Easter conference finals, that series came down to two things came down to, well, I mean, the Raptors hit some threes, but what it really came down to was Kawhi Leonard was better than Yadis Antetokounmpo and British basketball league legend, Nick nurse uh, was a, uh, was significantly better than Mike Budenholzer. And those two things are the reason why the Raptors won that series and eventually won the title. And, you know, to me, for Milwaukee to, you know, for those two guys to really prove that they're the best at their profession, uh, they need to go out and, and prove that things are a different story this time around in the playoffs. Mike Budenholzer, though, still the only NBA head coach ever to have played in the Scottish League. So, you know, he's still, oh, that's he still right. has history on his side. Still has history on his side. I was I was trying to get the shout out for uh for Nurse for the BBL, but I, yeah I forgot about I forgot about Mike's uh, Scottish background. That's right, legend in his own lifetime here. That's that's right, that's right. <laughs> you um, you wrote a really interesting piece on the Seventy Sixers this week, and it was about about the shift of Ben Simmons to to power forward, and you know yep. perhaps this complementary change to his three point predilections. I mean, we've never say we never we've never seen in recent times a player of his caliber being switched mid-season. I mean, in a sense, we know the kind of issues there and the kind of that have been going on in chemistry, but does this smell a little bit like a last throw of the dice from Brett Brown in terms of making this core fuse together as a championship contender? Well, listen, I certainly think that that's true, right? That you look at the Sixers, Brett Brown's job security has been in question for I don't know, three years, feels mm-hmm. like four years, like every year people at the end of the season go, well, is Brett Brown going to get fired? And then he's back. And I feel bad for Brett. I think he's got a really hard job. He's got an awkward team with a, a ton of talent, but a ton of talent that doesn't exactly fit the best together with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid kind of being a perfect example. Those are two phenomenal players who their skill sets kind of overlap and you're not quite sure if they're ever going to quite be able to maximize their talents playing together uh, because of how much those skills overlap. But um, Ben, Ben is just a really interesting player to me because he's kind of the classic guy. Um, He's kind of like Paul Pogba, I think in a way where he's, he's a incredibly talented player who people kind of focus on the stuff he isn't doing or doesn't do and don't look at all the things that he does do all the time. Like, yes, Simmons doesn't shoot threes. He did shoot two threes in their first um, scrimmage, which was the first time he's ever taken more than one in a game. Uh, they play again. We're, we're talking Sunday. Uh, he play, They play Sunday. I'm curious to see if he keeps shooting. Um, but he does everything else well. I mean, he, he's a, he's a, he handles the ball like a point guard. He's one of the best passers in the league. He runs the floor like a gazelle. He can guard virtually every position on the court. 
Um, he, I mean, he can do literally everything on the court, but shoot. So yes, like in the NBA right now, shooting's at a premium. So that's a problem, but he's a really damn good player. So yeah, I mean, your, your read on Brett, I think is totally right. I think he looked at this situation and said, what the hell do I have to lose? I might get fired if we lose in the first round anyway. I'm going to try to put the best lineup out here. I'm not going to worry about upsetting Al Horford, who's a you know multiple-time All-Star, signed a $100 million contract in the offseason to come in and start. We're going to have you come off the bench, Al. We're going to put Bennett Power forward. We're going to start Shake Milton, who's a young guy who can shoot 45% from three and give, give us some of this shooting that we really need. And let's try to ride Joel and Ben to – a lot of wins and you know, they, the Sixers might be the single most fascinating team in this whole experiment because they could lose in the first round of the playoffs. They could win the championship and neither a result would surprise me. Like they just have the absolute widest variance of virtually any team I've ever seen. And it's just going to be really, really interesting to see kind of how this power forward thing evolves with Ben, which I think could be a really, really good thing for him. And I'm just I just can't wait to see what the Sixers team looks like uh, in the playoffs with everything that they have on the line as far as, you know, like like I've been talking about between Brett's future and the Joel and Ben dynamic and everything else that's going on with that team. I remember you to remind off the sort of group of you know, potential contenders in these, a team you see a lot of the Celtics. I mean, you know, obviously so many changes there, you know, last summer, but yep. they've held on, they've grown, it's still a young team. I mean, we talk about intrigue. Is, are they a team that potentially, if everything comes together, that we maybe overlook? Yeah, I think it's possible. I think the Celtics have a couple things working against them, though, Mark. Uh, Kemba Walker has been dealing with knee issues, really going back to December and January. Um, and it's pretty worrisome that he came back from this layoff saying he felt good uh, in late June. And then by the time the, the Celtics got to Orlando, he'd had a setback in his knee and his really spent the past three weeks kind of – he didn't play in the first game. He may play uh, today on Sunday um, in their second scrimmage. Uh, but they need Kemba Walker at 100% for them to, to be that team, right? And if I, I think you have real reason to doubt he's going to be at 100% just given the way this ramp-up has gone. I mean, if your knee still isn't right after three or four months off, it's hard to see it being right in three months after playing, you know, 30 games. Uh, in the playoffs and in these seeding games. Uh, so I think that's one downside. And the other, I mean, it, it, I say unfortunate only because of the timing, but um, Gordon Hayward, who came back from that brutal leg injury a couple of years ago, to I think play just about as well as he ever has mm. this year. Um, his wife is going to have their fourth child in sometime in September. And he said he's going home to be with her for that, which I, I commend him for and I think is great. The problem for Hayward and the Celtics is that if he does that, he's almost guaranteed to miss between five and seven days of the playoffs because of the quarantine rules. Like essentially, if you leave for an absence like that, even if you're only gone for 48 hours, you still have to quarantine for four days. So if he misses three or four games in, say, the second round against the Toronto Raptors in an Eastern Conference semifinals, I don't know if the Celtics can overcome that. Um, so I, I do think that there is a scenario where the Celtics could have everything come together and make, and even maybe win the finals. Um, cause they, they do have a ton of talent. Brad Stevens is a great coach. Um, their team chemistry is really great. Replacing Kemba with Ky, uh, Kyrie Irving with Kemba Walker 
has completely changed this team in a positive way. Um, and I, I do think they have a chance, but those two things with Kemba and Gordon, um, I, I really think have a chance to, uh, you know, real, really be significant down fa- downside factors in them trying to, to make the kind of run you're talking about. I mean, lots of different challenges on the full floor. The coaches as well used to be able to operate in a, in a certain manner now with every sound picked up internally and on the microphones. And you have to watch what you say, as our old friend Nick Nurse revealed. Well, there, there certainly is a, a different feel to it. And, and again, I, I know what everybody else has been saying, but, you know, it is it is a communication thing. I'm at my first play I called out, I was like, whoa. You know, and, and I was really trying to give some instruction on some free throws defensively because they run this kind of quick break thing. And I found myself not even doing it, you know, because it was like, well, <laughs> everybody in the whole place is going to hear this thing. And, it's, and, and that, so there's that. And I think – um, again, the energy certainly is, is, is different. And I don't, again, I don't say that it's bad. I think it, it may enable you to focus in a different way. And I'm, you know, I'm just, I just want to keep learning from game to game, what the right kind of feel is. And I think it's important to try to do that. Just keep learning a little bit here and there. I mean, look at that, that, the Raptors and losing Kawhi. Still sitting second in, in these standings as we re-begin. Nick, we obviously saw in his coaching infancy over in, in this part of the, the, the side of the Atlantic, but is he the NBA coach of the year? I don't think without a question. Or, I mean, I, I think so without a question. I mean, I, he, you know, you go back to the fall and I thought the Raptors were going to be good because I, I covered them last year when they won the championship. Uh, I know how good... Nick is as a coach, and I knew how much talent they still had on the team, even after losing Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green, right? They had Pascal Siakam. They had Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Vliet, Marcus Gasol, Serge Ibaka. They have, they have a lot of talent. OG Ananobi, right? They have a lot of talented players. Um, but most people thought that they were going to be a fringe playoff team in the East. I mean, they were there were some people who picked them to miss the playoffs entirely. Uh, and so for them to not only – make the playoffs, not only be good, not only be on pace to win 60 games, but to be on pace to win 60 games when every single player in their core seven or eight man rotation, except for OG and Obi missed at least a month with injuries. Like you put all that together. And to me, like the, you know, there's, there's always a lot of great coaching jobs in the NBA and you can, you can single out a few different guys that deserve accolades this year. Uh, in consideration for that award. But to me, the job Nick did is second to none, and he should, uh, I, I think he will cruise to winning that award this year. Clearly a symptom also of adding fabulous Fernoy from the mighty Newcastle Eagles coaching <laughs> staff right. this season. Yeah, that, that could that's be the secret right. ingredient. That's that, right. That puts them up there. I mean, with this with this new environment, Tim, we've heard so much about this the talk about this being an asterisk season. I mean, much as it was sort of loved at the Spurs in 99 when they won the title after the lockout. I mean, with everything that's gone on and will go on, do you think we're going to end up with an argument that the winner this year will deserve an asterisk, but because they have gone over and above and dealt with even more than usual? Yeah, no question. I, I think this is going to be the hardest championship anybody's had to win. I mean, you go, you look at the way this whole thing has played out, right? And and everything that, um, that teams have had to deal with over the past few months with the coronavirus, 
to everything that that's done uh, to our world at this point, um, to going down to Orlando, being away from family for three months, playing in this bubble, uh, dealing with everything that comes with that. Uh, whoever finds a way to, to come out the other side of this and 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 lift the trophy and win this title, I mean, you know, if you ask people, you ask a random basketball fan who won the NBA title in 1982, right? Nobody's going to remember or 2003 or whatever, right? Pick a random year. People aren't, you know, basketball fans might know, but like general fans are not going to remember. Everybody's going to remember who won this title, right? This this is something that everybody is going to see and point to, especially because over here in the States, among the major sports, this is the first one that's going to finish. Sure. Like baseball is going to last, last till sometime, if it even finishes until um, late October. Hockey is going to be in later October, I think. Um, uh, who knows what's going to happen with the NFL? Who knows what's going to happen with college football? So, you know, the NBA is the first one up. And if they can, if they can get to the end and, and, and finish this season, I, I mean, certainly on, from my end, I've been saying this from the beginning. Whoever, whoever wins this title to me should get a gold star as opposed to an asterisk because I, I just think this thing is going to be the most brutally hard challenge any team has had to overcome to try to win a championship. I talked a lot about the East. Let's talk a little bit about the West. I mean, you've, you've been a record that you think that from next season, Kawhi Leonard, you suspect him to be the best player in the NBA. And we have a, a guy, of course, who wasn't in your top five, surprisingly, players you said would be in the top five for next season, LeBron James. Um, that that rivalry, Lakers Clippers, is, is you know it, has been so intriguing, you know, right across the world yep. because of the city, because of the marquee name, yep. because of the history yep. of the Lakers. Yep. Is it Lakers Clippers to come out of the West? Yeah, I think so. And, and look, LeBron deserves full credit. Like when I made that list you mentioned back in July, I didn't have LeBron in my top five because LeBron had just come off the first major injury of his career, and we, he was going to be thirty five, and we just didn't know. What I didn't know, at least, if he's going to be able to come back and be the same player, right? I just we just didn't know. Like, was that was that the beginning of him picking up significant injuries every year? Was it just kind of the beginning of a decline for him? And instead, he came back and had a fantastic year. Uh, and in a lot of years, would be the MVP. But you know, Giannis has just been so good that I think he's going to win the award going away. Um, but yeah, listen, you're right. I mean, those two teams with Anthony Davis, the, you know, the big trades that brought Anthony Davis and Paul George to uh, L.A. last summer with the Lakers and Clippers, with Kawhi Leonard deciding to go to the Clippers after winning the title and winning finals MVP with the Raptors. Um, I mean, that's certainly been the storyline that's hung over the league all season. And, um, you know, I, I do think that the Clippers, you know, they've had a lot of issues here early in, in, in this bubble. They, they've had, you know, they've had several players missing basically the whole time. Uh, you know, there's a chance Lou Williams uh, is going to have to be quarantined for an extra period of time because of some stuff he did when he was away <laughs> dealing with a family. Uh, That's a very different number. way of putting it. Yes. Well, we'll just leave it at that. So, uh, so you know, so we'll see what the NBA's ultimate ruling is on that. Um, but, uh, but look, like I said before, I think if I'm if I was trying to map out a season and I needed somebody to play from October to June, I would pick Giannis, right? I think in the regular season, he's clearly to me the best player in the world. But we saw last year in the playoffs, in the playoffs, 
I don't think there's anybody in the world better than Kawhi Leonard when he's right. So, you know, this, you know, Kawhi leading that Clipper team with Paul George playing with him. Like, I think if they play the Lakers, they will win and they will make the finals. And I think those are the two best teams probably in the West this year. Um, so I, I, I said before the season, I thought the Clippers would, would win and I'm going to stick with that. Um, but I certainly hope that series happens because to your point, you know, getting a chance to see LeBron go up against Kawhi in the playoffs for seven games, like sign me up for that. That would be pretty fun. Do you think just to finish off from Kawhi, I mean, you talk about sort of load management, which was such a, a big thing 12 months ago. You know, the fact that there's no travel here. For someone like him, that's an absolute massive positive. I think it's a positive, but the other thing we have to remember here, Mark, and it, this goes for LeBron too, and it goes for a lot of these guys, like Kemba I was talking about before with his knee. Um, typically, the playoffs take a really long time, right? Like they tend to start around April 15th. They tend to end around June 20th. So – you're playing somewhere between 16 and 28 games in about 65 days. And in this bubble, you're going to be playing those 16 to 28 games in about 45 days, right? Um, or 50 days. So there's going to be a couple weeks less of rest built into this thing that I think could really have an impact, even on a guy like Giannis, too, who's been dealing with knee stuff himself at times this year, right? Like the NBA Finals, uh, which I think you've been to before, mm -hmm. they have two games, they have two days between every single game. So you can play 47 minutes, right? And then you have two entire days to rest and get ready for the next game. Well, in this thing, it's every other day, all the way through the playoffs till it's done. And that's the thing that I'm really curious to see what kind of toll it takes on people. Like, what kind of toll does that take on Kawhi, on LeBron, on Giannis, uh, on Kemba Walker, on these guys with nagging health issues? Um, like, to me, a critical thing in these playoffs is going to be to finish off teams early. Like, if you have a chance to sweep a team and get a couple days off, like, the teams that are able to do that, I think, are going to have just a massive advantage. Because, like, when we saw Golden State go on their run with Durant and Curry and those guys, they would kind of mess around in series and like blow games here and there. And like the series would go a couple games longer than they should. And it never really mattered much because they were way better than everyone else. And like I said, there was a lot of these rest days built in. If, if like say in the first round, the Lakers play the Pelicans and they lose two games and they have to go six games. Like those, those two games in the first round might not seem like a big deal, but they could really matter in the conference finals. If you have that extra couple games worth of effort on your legs in the middle of playing every other day for 50 days in a row. So that, that to me is just that the wear and tear on guys is how this thing plays out. I think is going to be, to me, it's a really underrated thing to watch. And I think is going to be critical um, to figuring out who's going to come through this thing on the other side. Last thing, you know, we've been covering this league for a long time, and one of the greatest parts of it is the access we get, the you know the face-to-face -face contact, the quiet words you can have with both players yep. and executives. That's not happening for the next while. Zoom calls are lovely, but they're not quite the substitute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But in saying that, is this the ultimate story? You've been covering this league for a long time. Is this the ultimate story to have covered because of 
just the sheer, as we said at the very start, the weirdness of this all. Yeah, I mean, listen, Mark, I mean, I, I think I speak for you and anybody who listens to this and saying that hopefully this is the only time we have to live through something like this, right? Uh, I mean, you know, probably, you know, it's been the comparisons have made a lot of times, but probably the best comparison to this is the, the Spanish influenza back in 1918. It's probably the best comparison to this from a worldwide uh epidemic standpoint or pandemic standpoint, right? That was literally a hundred years ago. So, you know, you can make a pretty good case. This is a once in a century situation and certainly hopefully it stays that way. Um, so yeah, like hopefully there's a pretty good chance that we don't have to cover this again. Uh, Cause it would be nice to be able to like <laughs> go out to eat and go to basketball games and like, you know, go to watch Premier League games and kind of have uh, the lives we've all gotten used to back again um so yeah like i you know i'm i'm excited to get the opportunity to go um to go down to orlando and be around this thing i I think it's you know it's certainly the kind of thing that i'm gonna look back on and and really never forget you know again i i hope it's the only time i have to do it and that next year there's at least some sense of normalcy to it and you know, you're right. The, the access situation is not what we're used to. Um, and hopefully that changes when we do start to get back to somewhat regular basketball again, whether that's in three months or six months or nine months or 12 months or whatever. But um, yeah, just just getting a chance to kind of be a fly on the wall for history and, and see how this thing shakes out and, um, you know, watch watch this bubble play out and see who wins and see how these storylines develop. I mean, the, the thing about the, the way this is shaken out for the NBA is I was just unbelievably excited for these playoffs. Like I thought they had a chance to be some of the most wide open playoffs we've had in a long time. And there's several teams I think have a chance to win the title. And I, I think we're still going to get a chance to see all that stuff. I mean, there's, you know, at least the two LA teams in the West, there's three or four teams in the East that can all win. And, you know, it's I'm just really excited to get a chance to watch basketball again and to get a chance to to see these playoffs and see how they play out and see how um, everything goes in the bubble. So, yeah, it's it's definitely it's definitely an assignment I'm really excited to have and to be part of. And, um, yeah, like I said, I just hope it's the only time that we have to uh, we have to do it. Well, it's going to be an intriguing few months. You can read Tim's work at ESPN.com. Follow him on Twitter at Tim Bontemps. Tim, we appreciate you joining the MVP cast. Stay safe and uh, don't try to enjoy Disney a little bit. <laughs> if I was going down there to be at Disney World as a Disney employee, I'd be thrilled. I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be basically sequestered going to basketball games. But listen, like I said, it's uh, it's a lot better than the alternative. So it'll be it'll be fun to, to be at games again for sure. Yeah, thanks for coming and talking to us. We'll catch you soon. Anytime, man. Thanks for having me. And that's it for this edition of the MVP cast brought to you with our sponsors at Total Environmental Compliance. Give them a follow on social media at T Compliance Limited. Of course, you can get all our previous editions at MVP247.com. You can get all your basketball news there as well. Subscribe if you wish via your preferred podcast provider. Or please, if you can, do leave us a review on your one, preferably a nice one. Or if you want to get in touch, reach out to me via Twitter at Mark. Another edition of the MVP cast coming very, very soon. But for me, Mark Woods, stay safe and it's bye for now.